0: Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're thankful for the opportunity to participate in this worship service. It is our prayer. The things that are said and done today will be pleasing to God, and that we will give Him the glory that He is due. We're going to be looking today at Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 26 through 31. Several weeks ago, I was asked to present a lesson on this particular chapter, or this particular passage of Scripture, dealing with... The willful sinner. And so, in our study today, we're going to talk about the willful sinner. In looking at Hebrews chapter 10, one of the things that we need to understand is that the writer, throughout the course of his book, is addressing saints, that is, Hebrew Christians who were on the verge of going back to Judaism. Some had either gone back or were possibly thinking about going back to the law of Moses. And so the whole book is really an exhortation to faithfulness. And the idea is, why would you want to go back to the Mosaic law? Why go back to an inferior system? The system of Christ, the dispensation of Christ, is far superior. Now having said that, in looking at Hebrews chapter 10, as we think about the willful sinner, you and I need to understand that there is a vast difference between individuals who are striving to live a faithful, godly life in Christ Jesus And those who simply walk away and give up. John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And then in verse 7 of that same chapter, he said if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So on the one hand, you have individuals who could care less about how they're living. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who are striving to do their very best. And when engaging or when having engaged in wrongdoing, they repent and turn away from that. Well, John said the blood of Christ avails in their life. So what about the willful sinner? The first thing that I call your attention to has to do with one's reception of the Lord. That is, one who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. Individuals receive or accept the Lord through their obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And throughout the New Testament, the Bible, in very explicit terms, talks about how we become New Testament Christians. In 1 Peter 1, at verse 22, Peter said, Seeing ye have purified your souls through the obedience of the truth. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, then ultimately we enjoy. A purification process. What all does this entail? Well, it entails faith in the Lord. The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. And you can look at Hebrews chapter 11 and over and over again you see individuals who are spoken of in that illustrious hall of fame as people who demonstrated both faith and obedience to the Lord. And so there is faith, but then there is also repentance or a turning away from sin. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish in Luke 13 at verse 3. And then individuals confess, that is, they make a public acknowledgement that they believe Jesus Christ is the Son of, of the living God in Acts chapter 8 verse 37 we read of the eunuch who having heard about Jesus Christ the Son of God made that very confession finally one is baptized or immersed in water for the remission of sins Acts 2 verse 38 baptism is for the washing away of sins Acts 22 verse 16 When individuals obey the gospel, then they are ushered into a covenant relationship with the Lord. They belong to Him. They enjoy all the benefits and the blessings of Christianity. And so when one is receptive to the Lord, he or she first obeys the gospel and then secondly, he or she is ordered, that is, He or she lives an orderly life based on the gospel. Once you and I become a Christian, we're not at liberty to just do as we please. Paul asked a question in Romans chapter 6, What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, since we we have obeyed the gospel and bask in all the blessings and favors of God, Since we have his abundant grace abounding in our life, can we just live as we please? Well, here's his response. God forbid. Some translations say certainly not. And here's the reason. He asked, how shall we who have died to sin live any longer therein? When you and I obeyed the gospel, we said we're getting out of the sinning business. We're giving that way of life up. Now there is a vast difference in somebody stumbling or making a mistake, giving in to temptation, and somebody who just walks away and says, I don't care about living for Christ anymore. I don't care about what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, and when I want to do it. A lot of difference. And so, when we obey the gospel, we understand that we're walking in compliance with the will of God. We're going to do what the Bible says to do. In Titus chapter 2 at verse 11, Paul said, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so there is a certain way that we live. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul said, Take heed to yourself, and to the doctrine, and continue in them. For in so doing, you'll say, both yourself and them that hear you. The idea is that we follow the doctrine of Christ. We obey what the Bible has to say. John tells us that if we do not continue in the doctrine of Christ, then ultimately our relationship with God is severed. In 2 John 9, he said, Whosoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. And so there's the danger of walking away from the Lord. But those who have obeyed the gospel, those who have been receptive to the Lord, who who have accepted the Lord based on His terms, well, they've obeyed the gospel. And their lives are ordered by the gospel. But now, secondly, and let me just make this statement. In verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10, The writer talks about if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. And there's the idea of being receptive to the truth. But what about those who repudiate the Lord or those who renounce the Lord? Those who reject the Lord. That is, they abdicate their relationship to the Lord. In other words, what about somebody who just walks away from it all? What's their state? What is their condition? What does the Hebrew writer say here? Well, listen to him in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Well, what's he talking about? First of all, think about the danger. I said at the onset of our study that the book of Hebrews is an exhortation to faithfulness. You had Hebrew Christians who were either on the verge of going back to Judaism or who had already gone back to Judaism. And the writer is saying, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? And so throughout the book there are warnings, there are danger signs, if you please. For example, in chapter 2 at verse 1, the writer said, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift from them, or lest we let them slip. Here's somebody who is drifting spiritually. Now, down in verse 3, he asked the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Here's somebody who is neglecting his or her spiritual life. How do we do that? How do you and I neglect our spiritual life? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. Number one, We just tune out the Word of God. Over in chapter 5 at verse 11, the writer said, I have many things to say to you, seeing you have become dull of hearing. These saints were in danger of drifting. And one of the the byproducts of that is they'd become dull in their hearing what the Bible says. They were not growing as they should. The Hebrew writer talked about how when by reason of time, he said, you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. So here's somebody just drifting in his or her spiritual life. Unlike the psalmist of old, whose meditation was on the law of the Lord both day and night, Psalm 1 at verse 10. If you'll stay in the Word of God and if you'll read and study this book each and every day, I can assure you one thing, spiritual growth will come. You'll not drift in your spiritual life. But these these people, they were drifting. They were in danger of drifting. So you can drift if you if you turn a deaf ear to the word of God. Also you can drift in your spiritual life if you forsake the worship assembly. Look, if you would, at verse 25. In verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, now listen to him, as the manner of some. Some were not faithful in their worship to God. Now, a lot of times people will say, well, do I have to come back on Sunday night? Do I have to come back Wednesday night? My question would be, why would you you not want to come back? Why would you not want to be where the saints meet? Can you think of anything from a negative standpoint that would hurt you spiritually by coming back on Sunday night or Wednesday night? Can you think of anything that would impede your spiritual growth by not coming back to the worship assembly on Sunday evening or to Wednesday night Bible study? I can't think of one valid reason why somebody wouldn't want to come back. Now I understand that there are reasons why some people can't come back. Maybe they're sick, maybe they have to work. But we're not talking about that. But it's interesting to me that in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 he talks about the forsaking of the assembly and then in verse 26 he talks about somebody who abdicates the faith. There has to be a correlation there. There has to be a correlation in our faithfulness to worship and our service to God. You can't separate the two. And so these people, they were on, on the verge of drifting. Some were drifting. And so they were neglecting the Word of God. They were neglecting the worship of God. Sometimes individuals who are drifting also neglect the work of God. The work of the church is not exclusive to the role of the preacher, or to the role of the elders, or to the work of the deacons. There is something for everybody to do. And the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 6, "We are that God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. You and I all have something that we can do to contribute the cause of Christ. There's something that all of us can do to help build the work of the church in this community. It takes all of us working together. Now when you neglect the work of the church, you're in danger of drifting, spiritually speaking. When we engage in in the work of the church, we're doing so not for our own glory or praise, but rather to bring honor and glory and praise to God. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men." they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So these people were in danger of drifting. But secondly, they were in danger of departing from the Lord. Not just drifting from the Lord, but departing from the Lord. Over in chapter 3, verse 12, the writer said that the saints to whom he was writing... He said they needed to take heed, that they needed to beware, lest there be in any one of them an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He cautioned them about the deceitfulness of sin, becoming hardened by a way of sin. What then would they have departed to? Some of them would have gone back to Judaism. Why would you go back to Judaism? The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10 that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. Why would you go back to an inferior system? Now, today there may be some who maybe they're not on the verge of going back to Judaism, but maybe they would go back to denominationalism. In other words, they would go back to a man- man-made institution. Why? Why? Why leave the body of Christ? Why leave the fellowship of the saved? Others may go back. Others may depart and go back into the world. Peter talks about those who after having received the truth, that is, after they had escaped the corruptions, the pollutions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He said they are again entangled therein and overcome. Here's a picture of somebody who goes back into the world. They leave the Lord. And so the danger of drifting from the Lord and the danger from departing. The danger in departing from the Lord. But then there is a second thing that we see. Not only the danger, but the declaration. Listen, if you would, to the declaration made by the Hebrew writer to these people who were on the verge of going back into Judaism, who were on the verge of leaving the Lord. Verse 26, he says, If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Here's something to think about. When people leave the Lord, they're they're in a perilous condition. Why is that? Number one, According to the Hebrew writer, they're in trouble with the Lord. Now you just think about being in trouble with the Lord. Many years ago, I can remember a lady coming into the church building. She had been a cancer patient, a survivor, and she had beaten breast cancer. It had almost been five years and I never will forget she came into the building one afternoon and she said, I am in trouble. The reason she was in trouble, she had been to the doctor and her tumor markers had increased and she knew physically speaking she was in trouble. Well sometimes we're in trouble physically speaking. Sometimes maybe on the job, maybe we're not producing enough, maybe we're not doing what we should do, and we are in trouble in our place of employment. Well, the Hebrew writer here, he's not talking about our physical condition. He's not talking about our place of employment. No, he's saying, if you leave the Lord, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. Why is that? Look, if you would, at verse 27 again. In verse 27, he said that those who leave the Lord face a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. There's a word there I want you to see. It is the word adversaries. If you leave the Lord, you are classified as an adversary. That's why you're in trouble with the Lord. There is no neutral ground when it comes to our service for the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, He that is not with me is against me. In other words, we're either for the Lord Jesus Christ or we're against Him. We're either among the saved or we're among the lost. There is no neutral ground when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. That's why when you read over in Revelation chapter 3 about the church at Laodicea, they had become lukewarm. They weren't hot and they weren't cold. And thus, Jesus said, I'm going to spew them out of my mouth. So... Those who leave the Lord, they are in trouble. And I mean they are in serious trouble. That's what the writer here is saying. If you want to talk about trouble, he said this is trouble to the greatest degree. But now, why is it they're in trouble with the Lord? Well, listen to him, if you would, as he talks about their treatment of the Lord. Here's why they're in such great trouble. Here's why they're viewed as an adversary. Note if you would. Verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. You can go back to the old law and look at the book of Deuteronomy and you'll see that those who engaged in, for example, idolatry, they could be put to death based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. All right, here's what the writer is saying. You think that was bad? Listen to this. Verse 29, of how much worse or sorer punishment... Do you suppose, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Number one, those who leave the Lord, they are trampling underfoot the Son of God. In other words, they're treating him with contempt, with disdain. Can you imagine somebody just having absolute, absolutely no care? for how they treat the lord i hear people sometimes take the lord in the lord's name in vain i hear people sometimes speak profanely about the way of religion about christianity you think about somebody who is trampling underfoot the very son of god Imagine somebody coming into your home and taking some of your finest things and just destroying them. Throwing them out. Walking on them. Many years ago there were people that had a vendetta against our country and one of the things that they would do, they would take the American flag and burn it. Some might even take the American flag and walk on it, trample on it. The Hebrew writer here is saying you need to be very careful because you are trampling underfoot the Son of God. But then he doesn't stop there. He says they count the blood of the covenant by which they have been sanctified a common thing. The idea is they're taking a very light and flippant view of the death of Jesus. In other words, they're they're treating the death of Jesus as if it were the death of any other common person. Now we know that's not the case. The Bible says, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you imagine people treating the blood of Jesus Christ in a contemptuous fashion? In a very common way? I think about that centurion that beheld the death of Jesus on the cross. I'll give him credit. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. When people leave the Lord, they need to understand that they're in trouble with the Lord. And they're in trouble with the Lord because they're trampling underfoot the Son of God. They're counting the blood of the covenant by which they have been sanctified a common thing. And then he said they've done despite unto the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is the one that has given us the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that has given unto us this beautiful scheme of redemption that we call the Bible. There are some people that turn a deaf ear to the word of God. They try to insult or wound the work of the Holy Spirit. And really that's the idea there. You can see why you can see why when people engage in willful sin, they're in trouble with the Lord. I'm telling you When people leave the Lord, they're in more trouble than they could ever imagine. Thirdly, when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, we read about the retribution from the Lord. That is ultimately those who leave the Lord, who go back into the world, who leave His covenant... They're going to give an account unto Him one day. Maybe that's something that people need to think about. But there is a judgment day coming. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 30. We know Him who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. Now a lot of times we think about people in the world that have never obeyed the gospel and we think, well, on the day of judgment, the Lord is going to settle the score. And that's right, He is. Paul said we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before the Lord. Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 14, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account of himself to God. We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to give an account unto the Lord for the way we've lived here upon this earth. Now we think about people in the world and we say, Well, the Lord, He's going to take care of them and He will. But the writer here is saying, Let me tell you, Since you've obeyed the gospel, if you have the idea that you're going to escape the judgment of God, you've got another thing coming. Go back again and look at what he says in verse 29. Of how much worse or sorer punishment suppose you shall he be counted worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God? who has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he hath been sanctified an unholy thing, who has done despite or insulted the spirit of grace. And the idea is we're going to stand before God one day. To give you an idea of our condition, note if you would verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What the writer is saying is, if you die outside of Christ, if you die unprepared to meet the Lord, it is a thing fearful beyond belief. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that those who have obeyed the gospel and renounced the Christian way of life, he said, the latter end is worse than the beginning. It would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, the sow that was washed to wallowing in the mire. An ugly, repulsive, despicable picture presented by Peter. So here's the question. Are you faithful or unfaithful? Are you on safe ground or are you on perilous ground? You know the answer. If you're here today and maybe you have gone back into the world, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to get your heart right with God and do it today. What would you need to do? Well, James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here, maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. What would you need to do? The Bible says God commendeth his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, be immersed... For the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38, the Lord will then add you to the church, Acts 2.47. And here's the plea, be faithful till death. The promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Today we ask this question. Are you faithful? Are you living daily for the Lord? If not, come as we stand and sing.